Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. I'm Ephraim Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and I'd like to welcome you to our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai-shalom.tv. A couple of announcements that we'd like to make before our service gets underway. Um, we are looking forward to a Hanukkah conference that we're hosting here in the Norman, Oklahoma area. Registration for that is open right now. We encourage your family to uh, come and join us here in the uh, central Oklahoma area to celebrate a Hanukkah conference uh, that is uh, coming up on the 6th and 7th of December. That's a Friday and a Saturday. And uh, we hope that you register. You do so at HanukkahEvent.com. We also encourage you to register as soon as you can because our prices go up on November 15th and there also will be no registration at the door. So you need to uh, get to that website and get your family signed up. And we'd like for uh, anyone who's available to come in the area to join us for a special event there. Uh, also, our looking forward to next year into 2019, our event for Shavuot uh, is also registration for that is open as well. That's at ShavuotEvent.com. Com. So we're already planning for the next year, and we're excited. Uh, we're also very excited for that event. We're now going to be in Dallas, Texas for that event. So I encourage you to uh, go to that website, ShavuotEvent.com, sign up your family there, and we look forward for you to join us for those uh, feasts and those events. Also, something special we have going on right now here at Lion and Land Ministries, we have a special donation offer uh, that's good to the end of the year that you can make a donation of any amount, and uh, we will send you two free DVD teachings for that. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, you can go to donationoffer.com, and uh, we'd love to share with you uh, those new teachings, and also you can make a gift to the ministry. We greatly appreciate all the donations and gifts that you guys make uh, to keep this broadcast going and all of the other events and outreaches that we do here at the ministry. Now, as we are approaching the Sabbath, uh, we will now be begin the Sabbath, setting it apart from the rest of the week with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Once again, thank you for joining us here at B'nai Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. Shall, shall. 
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch HaTadonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGahafen Amen. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai Eloheinu melech haolam Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. <laughs> Husbands, let's bless our wives. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our wonderful wives that you've given to us, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for beautiful wives of Proverbs. Thank you, Lord, for my wife and the blessing that she is to our home and to our family. Bless her, encourage her, and strengthen her as she teaches and educates the children, as she wakes up in the morning to take care of them and see about the ways of the household. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing she is to me and to our home. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. So we love you and bless you and thank you for all of these things, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. amen. Now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. You like <laughs> now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arunai Hamvorach. Baruch Arunai Hamvorach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Micha Mocha Baelim Adonai Micha Mocha Nedahar Bachodesh Nohorat Echilot Oh, Lord, among 
among the gods. Who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you. Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher natan lanu et derech, HaYeshua v'Mashiach Yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et HaShabbat, La'asot et HaShabbat, L'adrotam barit olam, B'nei avayom, B'nei Yisrael, Othit le'olam, K'sheshet yamim asadonai, Et hashmaim v'et haaretz v'yom hashavi, Shabbat v'yinafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha, uv'chol meodecha, v'heyu ha'devarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha ha'yom alevavcha, v'shinan tam l'avanecha, v'tepardabam b'shivtecha, b'yetecha, uv'lechtecha, v'derech u'shakbika, uv'kumika, u'kershatam la'ota yadecha, v'heyu la'totavot b'inenecha, u'chetavtam ha'mazuzo b'techa uv'sharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, welcome. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this time to gather together with friends and family. Just to let your presence dwell here this day, Lord. Just let your presence be here. Keep our friends and family that are traveling. Keep them safe. Let them all be blessed, Father. Uh, in Yeshua's name, we pray.
These are the days of Elijah Declaring the word of the Lord And these are the days of your servant Moses Righteousness being restored And though these are days of great trials Of famine and darkness and sorrow are the voice in the desert crying prepare ye the way of the Lord behold he comes riding on the clouds shining like the sun at the trumpet's call so lift your voice to your jubilee and out of the Zion's hill
Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 25, holding your finger at verse 19, where our Torah portion will begin for this week. And as always, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch Atarunai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Bachabanu Mechol Haamim Venatan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Atarunai Nonten HaTorah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is entitled Toledot, which uh, is the phrase, is the word that means generations. Or sometimes in the translation it says genealogy. That comes from verse 19 of chapter 25 of Genesis, where it says this. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Padamaran, the sister of Laban, the Syrian, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. This is now the story that's continuing on after Abraham has passed away, according to that was given to us in the scripture earlier in chapter 25, that Abraham, the, the story has now shifted from focusing on Abraham now to Isaac, his son. A couple of things that are very interesting about uh, Isaac that is a little bit different than Abraham, also his son Jacob. This Torah portion here is one of the only portions that really focuses on the life of Isaac. In fact, chapter 26 that we'll cover in our Torah portion here is, in my estimation, the only chapter of all the scripture that focuses solely on Isaac and interactions that he had. Every other chapter in Genesis has to do with maybe some other character in the scripture, more so than Isaac. But here begins this genealogy and this study of what happened in Isaac's life. And it, But what we'll see here is it will immediately shift also to his sons. He has his wife, Rebecca, and then she immediately, as I just read in the first uh, verse here of our portion, she's now conceived and she's having children. But Isaac himself had to wait a number of years before this took place. In fact, this is a theme throughout all the patriarchs' lives and the wives that they have is this theme of barrenness. So we have to remember that Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, she was barren for a number of years, and it took an act of God, a miracle, for her to conceive and bore Isaac when she was 90 years old. Our story tells us here that Isaac took Rebekah when he was 40 years old, yet as it goes and will tell, they waited 20 years before these children, and it will be sons, it will be twins, that will be conceived and are born to them. 20 years of waiting. You would think that the promise of Abraham, and Abraham, of course, was still alive during the time in which he married, uh, married Rebecca. And you would hope that for Abraham's sake, that once the marriage took place between Isaac and Rebecca, let's start having children. Let the blessing and the promises that God promised to Abraham, let him see his descendants born. His son has a children and then they grow to age and they have children. And you would hope that maybe for Abraham's sake, that he would get to see many of his children and his descendants grow, that that would be the confirmation of God's covenant. Of course, we know 
Abraham's faith was so strong that he believed in the promises of God before he even had evidences of it. Before it got, he, he waited so long before the promised son came, and he was tested in his faith years after uh, his son was born, even to offer him back up as a sacrifice in the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. That Abraham's faith was so strong, perhaps Abraham didn't need any more evidence because he still believed in the promises of God. This is, again, a theme that is throughout the children, uh, the, these descendants and these patriarchs that we have here. Isaac waiting 20 years before he has children as well. If you do the number count, uh, it turns out that the sons that Isaac is going to have, they will be 15 years old when Abraham dies. So Abraham was able to see and was able to hold his uh, grandchildren, Jacob and Esau, but he did not get to see any more uh, descendants after that. So here uh, we have this story. Again, 20 years of waiting. This has, I believe, this allowed Isaac to also build up the same faith that his father Abraham had, that if Isaac is going to carry on this covenant that God made with Abraham, his father, that he too has to learn maybe some of the same lessons that his father Abraham had to learn. And this is a theme throughout all of Torah where we always say that what happens to the fathers will happen to the descendants. So we'll see some repeating themes throughout our story, not only in the life of Isaac, but also through his son Jacob and also through his sons as well. That this is a cycle of stories that we and principles that we learn through each and every one of these men that we read about here in our scripture. Something interesting here happens, though, and you know in ancient times they didn't have ultrasounds and they didn't they didn't know exactly what was going on. They basically all they had to know was if there was a, somebody a woman was pregnant, they could probably do some physical examination, but they truly didn't know the health of the pregnancy. And what happens here, starting at verse 22, the children that were in the womb of Rebecca they struggle. There was a distress in the pregnancy that Rebecca has, and she then prays and asks, let me read here. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall, shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. See, if there are any, any woman who has uh, bore twins knows that there's lots of kicking. Even if there's just one in there, there's a lot of kicking and there's some ribs getting punched and kicked and all kinds of flips and turns. And everybody who's ever had a chance to uh, either have a child or have a wife, you know how this you know how this goes. When they're twins, it's kind of even more so. And so she had to inquire of the Lord because if say, I mean, how tragic would have been if she had been barren all these years and then were to lose the baby if there's this great amount of distress during the pregnancy whether it's pain tossing turning kicking anything like that and so she had to inquire of the lord but the lord reassured her he she he blessed her with giving her this knowledge and this instruction and it's a very interesting prophecy that is put upon Rebecca here in our story, she receives the information. There are two there are two nations that are in her womb. One of them will be stronger than the other. It doesn't it doesn't describe which one will the older be stronger than the other. Will the younger be stronger than the other? We don't know. But it does say, however, the older 
shall serve the younger. This word was given to Rebecca, and so this is something that she knew going forward in the course of her pregnancy. One of the questions also is this information that was given to her, the narrative doesn't say, did she share it with anyone else? Did she tell her husband Isaac? We tend to believe that she may have communicated it to her younger son Jacob, but we don't know really, the scripture does not is not clear whether this information was put upon her heart and not upon anyone else's, or that it was shared with anyone else's. So here they go. Here's the birth of the children. The first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Esau at its very root means red. And um, afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took a hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, or Yaakov in the Hebrew, which at its root means heel, or the grasping of the heel. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So, again, that uh, clarifies that this was 20 years after they had been married. And so here we have the two sons. The firstborn is Esau. He, and he was this hairy, red character here. And Jacob comes out, and he's grasping on to the heel of his brother. And so that's where he got his name, Yaakov. Um, now, if I finish out uh, the ch- uh, verses here where it says, so the boys grew. Esau, the older one, was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And es- Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, because he was a great hunter. He ate of the food that he brought in, and that was pleasant to his father Isaac. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, this, we believe, was because, not because he was a mild-mannered boy, because he was maybe more of a, a mama's boy, if you will. But no, the blessing and the uh, promise that was made to Rebekah said, look, the younger one is the one who will rule over the older one. So she tended to favor him for that reason. One of the things that's interesting about uh, Jacob grasping the heel of his brother. There's a couple of things where um, prophecies and people who have interpreted this have always thought that he will. He's always kind of chasing after his his brother. He's always going to be trying to ca- catch up or grasp on and, and hold on to, so he can keep up with the speed and skill of his brother. Another interpretation also is this: because there was this quarreling in the womb, there was this striving with one another. Here, uh, some in, have interpreted that he was basically holding on to the heel because he was protecting himself to keep Esau from kicking him in the head in the process of being in the womb and that there was he was always having to guard and protect himself and this is what we truly believe is that the conflict between Jacob and Esau began all the way in the womb they were fighting and wrestling with each other and striving against each other all the way back to the womb. And this will be a theme that continues on through the rest of their lives. So a couple of different ways to look at it that between these two men that we believe they were not identical twins, but they were fraternal twins, both being male, that one, they, they had some different looks to them. But even when you have twins that have uh, some different physical characteristics, you always can still tell that they're brothers and sometimes you look at them just the right way and they did sometimes can look like the other one that'll play in of course as we continue our story later now we have at the end of chapter 25 of genesis we have a very short story 
just a couple of verses long of an interaction between Jacob and Esau. However, this short little story, I wish I almost wish the scripture would have maybe more detail on exactly how this conversation went. However, this story, being short as it is, is one of the most profound stories that will impact the lives of Jacob and Esau. And it goes this, starting at verse 29. Now, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom, Edom meaning red. Again, I believe Edom was kind of a nickname maybe that was given for Esau, uh, that it's uh, similar in Esau in its etymology, but he was kind of called red because that was his nickname, and he wanted some of this stew. Verse 31, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and then he ate and drank, arose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Many people, there's lots of interpretations and studies, and this is what begins the stereotype of Jacob, that Jacob is a swindler. He's a little bit of a little bit of a uh, he fudges the truth a little bit. He will kind of work his way to to try and gain something. And in fact, that um, theory or stereotype continues all the way to this day to modern day Judaism, where Jewish people actually get a negative stereotype sometimes described as being ones that'll swindle, that are motivated by money, that can make a deal or make a sale and sometimes make it feel like you lost out on the deal when you have to deal with them. That's a stereotype, unfortunately, has become a great uh, insult to the Jewish people uh, in this day. But this all sometimes goes all the way back to this point in time where there is a belief by some people in the world that Jacob was a swindler and he got his brother to sell his birthright. You can look and interpret it that way where if Esau was, Esau, was he being sarcastic here? Yeah, it kind of sounds like he was. He's like, hey, give me some of that food. And it's all like, sell me your birthright. And he's all like, I'm about to die. It's like, what a good is that to me? And that sounds like a sarcastic statement. But then Jacob actually asks for him seriously to sell it and to swear by it at this time. And look, Esau, man, he's like, dude, you're probably joking. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. So it's like, sure, I'll sell you the birthright. And so one might interpret this and just be like, look, Esau was being sarcastic. He was joking. He didn't truly want to sell his birthright. But Jacob took advantage of the situation and got the birthright. That's one way to look at it. What I, the other way to look at it is this, is that Esau... We already have the blessing that was spoken to Rebecca saying that there will be a difference between these two men, between these two nations. And the older is meant to serve the younger. This is what's supposed to happen through the course of the blessing and the birthright that passes down from Abraham. This has already been something that has been established at the time of Abraham. Abraham's blessing went to Isaac, who was not his firstborn son. That was Ishmael through the handmaiden Hagar. But the blessing instead went to Isaac. Now, in this story here, the blessing is intended to go to Jacob the younger. And that will carry on also into Jacob's children, who the oldest, the eldest, who will be born to him, will not receive the birthright blessing as well. So this is a pattern and a theme throughout all of the patriarchs' lives, that the blessing and the birthright is supposed to go 
to the younger one. That would be Jacob. It's also believed here at this time that Esau truly at his heart did not favor or esteem the birthright that was given to him as the firstborn. All the blessings of the family are going to go to the firstborn. But here he is, he just comes and he just doesn't have any esteem for what is very important. And that's also, we tend to believe that that is a pattern throughout all of his life. The sages of Israel say this, that at this time that these men were, that this was taking place, what else was going on? What was the event? What was the what was the occasion that Jacob would be making red lentil stew and that Esau was coming in from the field? And the sages say that this event took place at the funeral of Abraham, their grandfather. Like I said, they would have been 15 years old at the time when Abraham died. You could imagine that two 15-year-old boys, one's going out and playing in the field, and the other one here, he's making a stew. He's certainly old enough to be able to do that. And in fact, red lentil stew is what is considered amongst Judaism as a meal for one who is in mourning. It's something that you would commonly make for a family who had just lost a loved one, and it is a mourner's meal. And so if that was the case, if this was the event that was going on, that takes all new, gives you a whole new perspective on Esau and his mentality in life. He's coming in the funeral for his grandfather, the great man that was Abraham. First of all, why wasn't he there in the first place? He's out hunting in the field. He comes in and he's hungry. He says, hey, what's that? Give me some of that food there. Now that food's being made for all of those who the guests who might be there and those who might be in mourning and all the rest of the family, Isaac, Rebecca, other people that were still alive that knew of Abraham. That's who that food is for. And Esau shows up and says, hey, I'm hungry. I want some of that. And so then with all of the what was going on, Jacob wanting to honor his grandfather, Abraham, at this time, he says, if I'm going to honor him, I wish I was the one with the birthright so that I could honor him at this time, at this event. And so then he says and he gives Esau. Yeah, he gives him the food. And then there he goes. He gets up. He eats it. He drinks. He goes and goes on his way. He doesn't stick around. He comes in, he's hungry, eats some food, and then leaves. That he has no regard for the rest of the family or anything that might have been going on at that time. Again, the narrative doesn't say that specifically, but the sages of Israel do believe that this is the traditional story that has been passed down many years through the rabbis and the oral tradition of telling these stories, and that that's truly what was going on. If that's the case, suddenly the motivations of Esau suddenly become very clear that he truly had no heart or regard for the honor of the covenant that God had made with his grandfather Abraham. So this is so that story will now play into another story that will come at the end of our Torah portion here. Right now we have chapter 26 of Genesis that's right here in the middle of our Torah portion. And as I said, this is the only chapter in all of Scripture where Isaac is the central character of this chapter, where it's about him, interactions that he had, and really not really about anyone else. So here's a pattern that continues on. Chapter 26 of Genesis, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. If you remember the story of Abraham, there was a famine 
Abraham had to load up and go to Egypt to get food because that's what you did. Egypt had the River Nile. They were able to continue to grow and survive even through times of famine and drought. And so you would go to Egypt to get food whenever a famine would show up. So another famine shows up now in the life of Isaac. And Isaac went to Abimelech. Sometimes we call him Abimelech. But Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in uh, Gerar. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The Lord is now speaking here to Isaac, confirming the covenant that he made with his father Abraham and giving the same language that he spoke to Abraham as well. Multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. In you and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. These are the same words that God spoke to Abraham. It's a continuation of the same covenant. It's not a new covenant. It's not a replacement for the old. It is a confirmation and a continuance of the same covenant here. Very interesting here how the Lord tells Isaac to not go down to Egypt. Isaac, of all the patriarchs, never leaves the land of Canaan. Very interesting that, that sometimes there's uh, been opinions and um, determinations of Isaac and his life. The rabbis say things about Isaac's life that uh, distinguish him from Abraham and Jacob. And they say things like this. He always dwelled in the land. He never left which would be the ideal situation for anyone who's desiring to dwell in the promised land, if the promised land is given to the descendants, that once you get that land that is promised to you, you would never leave. You would have, never have any reason to leave. And so Judaism actually identifies Isaac's life, as the, some aspects of it, as the ideal life that one would want to live. The way he overcome, uh, overcame certain trials and tribulations. And they say these things about Isaac in contrast to Abraham and also, also to Jacob. And so they actually say Isaac's life is this ideal example that we are desiring to follow. What's interesting about that is that we know Isaac is simply a type and shadow and a picture of the Messiah, Messiah Yeshua. He's the promised son and that he, the Messiah, is the proper example for us to follow. Now, most Jews don't believe in Yeshua of Nazareth as the Messiah. So they look to some of these characters here and they talk about Moses and the prophet that he was. And they also... Um, uh, not idolize, it's an incorrect word, but uh, for lack of a better term, they look to the life of Isaac as this example that one would want to follow. So that's one of the interesting distinctions here about Isaac and his life. Now, this phrase here at the end of this blessing, that he's going to bless Isaac in the same way he blessed Abraham because of Abraham. Because the covenant that he made with Abraham, he then will bless the descendants. And this carries on as well because there's blessings that are put upon Esau as well and also upon Ishmael back before, uh, before Isaac that these, because of the covenant God has with Abraham, blessings will go to each and every one of these descendants of Abraham. But we do believe, however, there is a special blessing and a set-apart blessing that is for this particular line, which comes from Isaac and then will subsequently go to his sons. 
But it says this, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. Very interesting, these Hebrew words that show up here. That word obey, Abraham obeyed my voice. That Hebrew word is Shema, which means hear, which is the same, which is the greatest commandment to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Not just hearing and listening, but to listen to the word of God with the intent to obey the words that are spoken. And so here we have Abraham who says that he shema, he obeyed the voice of the Lord. And it also says he kept my charge. That Hebrew word kept is shamar, which goes all the way back to the garden. The very first commandment that was ever given to Adam was to keep the garden that God had created. To tend to it, to take care of it. And that is testimony that is given to Abraham here that he heard and obeyed the voice of the Lord. And he also kept and attended uh, to the charge and the commandments that God has given. That it's, it's kind of um, making Abraham the ideal person that's describing how to keep and obey and follow the commands of the Lord. This is an area where I like to call this Torah before Sinai, that Abraham himself kept all the commandments and the instruction, such as that is given from Mount Sinai to the children of Israel. He kept all of these commandments also, even before they had been given at Mount Sinai. So he obeyed, he shamed the voice of the Lord. He kept and tended to and kept the charge. And then here it says this, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Those are three Hebrew words there that this is the first time they appear in all of Scripture. Commandments is mitzvah, which is the all keeping of all the commandments of following after the instructions that God has given. And then statutes, that word is hukah, which in fact we'll have a Torah portion later on that is called hukat, which means in my statutes. Sometimes the, that word is also translated as customs. In that you would keep even God, even though he, he has his commandments, he also has his customs, things that we follow. And sometimes when it comes to a custom, we t often describe that as, well, why do we do that? Well, it's because we've always done it that way. Well, and that's truly that's kind of a way to define what a custom is. God himself has customs. Ways that he wants to always continue to do things a certain way. That's why we have patterns and parallels through all the lives of the uh, children of Abraham. That God himself has a custom and has a way of doing things. And that's something else that Abraham followed. And then that last word, my laws, I imagine you could probably guess what that is. The first time it ever appears in our scripture, the Hebrew word Torah. That Abraham kept the laws of God. That is his Torah. That is his law, sometimes even translated as teachings. That Torah, sometimes we look at that and, we, and there's a way to view it to where it's like these are the laws that God has laid out for us to follow. Do this, do not do that. But also a very good translation for that word, and it's translated at times for Torah, is teachings, the instructions, way things to live by. And that is the description here of Abraham, that he lived by these things, by these words, by these customs. We have customs from God. We have commandments from God. And then all of those come together and are taught and we live by them. And that's what Torah is supposed to represent. So now that we have first been introduced to this word Torah, it now kind of sets the stage for every other instruction we're going to get through the rest of the Torah cycle. So the story continues on after this blessing has been given to Isaac. 
But then it says Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place, uh, that we have this interesting interaction here with Abimelech, that Abraham also had an interaction with Abimelech as well. When he was asked, and they were introduced for the first time, Abraham was asked of his wife Sarah, and he said, no, it's not my wife, it's my sister. Interestingly enough, Isaac does the same thing when he meets Abimelech and they say, who is this? And he says, she is my sister. And it says he was afraid to say that she was his wife because he thought lest the men of the place would kill me for his wife because she was beautiful to behold. Now, it came to pass after a long time, Abimelech, who had already been through this experience before with Abraham, he ended up like kind of spying on him a little bit. He looks through a window and he sees Isaac showing endearment to his wife. Uh, some translations say he was sporting with his wife. Who knows exactly what that was? But Abimelech comes to Isaac and says, why did you tell us she was your sister when she is your wife? Lest anything had come upon her that any of my men would do something to her and then bring a curse upon us because you two are in covenant. And that apparently was a code of conduct that one was not to, to do that way or behave that way. So why did you say this? And Isaac said, because I didn't want to die on account of her. And this is what Abimelech says. He says, um, you, we want to be in covenant with one another. And he makes a command to his people. And he says, don't anybody touch this man or his wife or anybody who does anything to this man shall surely be put to death. Abimelech is, this is what I also described earlier, was the interaction that there are people who dwell in the land who do desire to just dwell in peace with these people. Even though Isaac and Abraham are strangers in this land, Abimelech does not want to be at war and be in conflict with this very great, strong family. So what happens here after this? Isaac receives a blessing after this interaction. Same thing that happened to Abraham. Every time that this sort of strange interaction happened, Abraham did this with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt as well, he would come out of it with a great deal of blessing. So this is what happens to Isaac. He sows in the land. God tells him to stay there, even though there's a famine. Sow your seed in the land. And then it says, verse 12, it reaped at the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Imagine that, that a field is able to yield a hundred times what it's able to yield. That is, that's a miracle. I can imagine a harvest that yields, you know, three times the harvest because you had a great year and it had a great uh, seasons and plenty of rain that you'd be able to yield, you know, three, three times the amount maybe you normally would in a normal year. But this miracle happens. He reaped it a hundredfold. This is, so this is what happened. The, the people of the land, they see this. They see this man. He yields a hundredfold from his field in the midst of a famine, no less. Suddenly they realize God is with this guy. This guy, he suddenly became a prince among the people. He probably was able to sell of his food to the people that didn't have to go down to Egypt to get food in the course of a famine. So he became very prosperous through all of this. However, what happens is now the Philistines, some of the other people of the land, some of the, the servants of uh, Abimelech, they start to kind of, they get jealous they start to quarrel with one another, and what they say is that it's like, here, why don't you depart from us? There's going to be a conflict here. My men get jealous. You, Abimelech, tells Isaac, go ahead and depart from here, and let's spread out. Let's separate these things. Um, let me read here now. Let's uh, go verse 14 of chapter 26. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herd and great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all of the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. 
and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much more mightier than we. So this is what the Philistines, the people, this is what they did. When there was a covenant made between them and with Abraham, through the course, that covenant in their eyes lasted until Abraham's death. Abraham died. Suddenly they can close up all the wells that Abraham had. We don't have to deal with him. And so then that's how they treated the land and treated the work that Abraham did. But because just because Isaac is his son, they don't yet have that covenant with him. And what we're working toward is that being established here in our story. So Isaac departs and he digs some wells there. But then the Philistines and he finds running water there, living water. And what it is, is the Philistines, what they, they contend with him again and that he, they say, no, you can't do that. The, the running water that is there under the ground, that belongs to us. See, it ran from under our ground to your ground. And so the water belongs to us. So you can't dig there. So we have an interesting story here, starting at verse 19 of Isaac building three wells, three wells through the course of this contention. Let me read here. Starting at verse 20. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one as well. And he called the, its name Sitna. And he then moved there and dug an, another well, but they did not quarrel over that one. So he called the name of it Rehoboth. Because he said, for the Lord has now made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Very interesting story here of these three wells. There's never never an idle word in scripture. There's never never an idle name in scripture. And let me tell you this. The uh, sages of Israel have likened these three wells to the future three temples that will be built in Jerusalem. And you can start to get that picture here as this sort of parallel that they describe. The first one was built and they quarreled over it. It was named Essek, which comes from the, the root word Asach, which means to quarrel, to contend, to strive. And they, they contended with one another over it. So they moved on and another one was built. And this one was named Sitna, which means strife. It's also the same Hebrew word, Sitna, which is also translated in the book of Ezra as the word accusation. Very interesting thing about Sitna, it's a Shem, a Tet, a Nun, and a He. The first three letters of that word, um, which is a Shin, a Tet, and a Nun, that also is the Hebrew word Satan, which is our adversary, the enemy, and the, which is what many, even those that don't study the word and don't even know that it's a Hebrew word, knows that the word Satan is the name for our enemy and our adversary, and that that is, comes out of this word as well. And so that there's almost strife, accusation, destruction associated with the second of these wells. And the third one that is created is called Rehoboth, which means wide places. And it's then, or the um, root of that, Rehav, which, which means to make large. And so then the, what it is, is the third one, there's a great deal of blessing associated with it. A large, wide spaces where we all can be blessed, be fruitful and multiply and dwell together. With that as your backdrop, you can now see the parallel between the three temples of Jerusalem that we are, that have been built and we're looking forward to the third. The first two were contended over. They strove and contended with, with enemies of Israel and those two temples were destroyed. And we also believe that the true act of what the children of Israel getting scattered into the nations 
After the Roman occupation, 70 A.D., we can truly believe that there was certainly our adversary, Satan, was involved in the destruction of all those things. And what we're looking forward to is a future prophecy of a third temple being built in Jerusalem. Now, if you look into all the future prophecies of the kingdom in this third temple, it's described that the temple mount will be larger than any temple mount that ever came before it. That it will be wide open and it will be huge. It will cover almost the entire square mileage of Jerusalem. And it will be this big, wide open space for all to be fruitful, to multiply, and to worship the Lord in that place. So that description of that third well and the name of that third well can certainly be connected and describe what we would look forward to in a future third temple that would be in Jerusalem, a wide open space where all can be fruitful and multiply. Also something interesting, that, that uh, root word Rahav of uh, Rehoboth is also another tra- uh, translation or pronunciation of it means another word meaning plaza. Which is all, which also connects it immediately to the prophecy in Daniel chapter nine, where it says Jerusalem will be rebuilt with plaza and with moat. And this is a connecting it again to this future prophecy of a future temple being built in Jerusalem. Fascinating connection and uh, correlation. Uh, funny that they quarreled over the walls and I'm correlating it all together, or the wells, correlating it all together, that all of these represent, and there's a pattern and a parallel to the three temples of Jerusalem. So what happens after this is then they went up to another well called Beersheba. This is the well of the oath. This is where the original covenant between Abraham and Abimelech was made at Beersheba, the well of the oath. And the Lord appeared to him the same night, and he then says to Isaac here, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent, and Isaac's servants dug a well there. Now Abimelech comes up, joins again with them, and this is where they now make a covenant again. They say, certainly... We have seen that the Lord is with you. And we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. We had one with Abraham. Now we're asking for one between Isaac and us. And let us make covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you. And since we have done nothing but good to you, sending you away in peace, you are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast. They ate, they drank, they arose early in the morning. They swore an oath to one another, and Isaac sent them away and departed from him in peace. And it came to pass on the same day, Isaac's servants came and told them about the well they had dug and say they have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So here we have the amazing, wonderful blessing of a covenant between Isaac and the people of the land. After all of this contention, after all of this quarreling, we then have a covenant between Isaac and the people of the land. We're looking forward to that in the kingdom as well, where after the third temple has been built, we hope that there will be peace between all peoples, those naturally descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of those, and in addition to all the peoples of the world, all the nations of the land. And so there's a prophecy here in Genesis 26 that connects to, again, the future kingdom that we're looking forward to. 
Our tour portion now continues on into chapter 27, and this is now the story that many people know very well. And this is the story in which Jacob receives a blessing from his father, Isaac. Before I get to this, let me first finish out the last uh, verses of chapter 26, where it says Esau was 40 years old. He took as wives Judith, the daughter, daughter of Bere, the Hittite, and Bosemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and to Rebekah. This is, again, showing the heart of Esau in comparison to Jacob. Now we're talking now back to the sons of Isaac. Esau despised his birthright. He took daughters from, or he took daughters of the land as wives for himself, and this was a grief to Isaac and to Rebekah. This also happened at 40 years old. So Jacob also was 40 years old since they were twins, and that this would have happened at the age when Isaac was 100 years old. Remember that they were born to him at 60. We're now 40 years later. Isaac is now 100 years old. This was the same age in which the promised son was born to Abraham. So we have sort of a significance going on here. Now what happens later as they continue to grow older, <coughs> uh, Isaac grows old and his eyes grow dim. He starts to go blind. And what he says this, and he says to, calls to Esau, his son, who he loves to eat of his game and the hunt that he provides. And he says, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons and your quiver and your bow. Go out into the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such that I love and bring it to me that I may eat and my soul may bless you before I die. Again, this is sort of interesting here because uh, Isaac was not near his death at this time. He lived for a great number of years after this. What some of the sages uh, say, I believe, is that this was the time and this was the day in which Isaac truly went completely blind. When he truly lost all of his eyesight. And as that was happening, if you never knew either why one was going blind, you might wonder and say, am I, am I dying? I can't see anymore. He questioned whether this was the time in which the way he was going to lose his life started with his eyesight. And he didn't know when he was going to die. So he calls to his son uh, uh, Esau, says, go bring me food, bring me a last meal. I don't know if I'm going to die and I want to bless you before I die. So Esau goes out. But what's interesting is Rebecca, she hears all of this. She was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau. Esau goes out into the field, and so then Rebecca does this. Verse 6, she spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and savory food that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock, bring me. Bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food for them for your father, such as he loves. And you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and shall seem, uh, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And I shall bring a curse on myself, and not a blessing." But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. 
So he goes, and this is what they do. Rebecca gets clothes from the elder son Esau, and then she puts skins of the goats and puts them on part of his uh, Jacob's neck so that he might uh, feel as if he was hairy like his brother Esau. And then he does, and he goes through all of these things. Now, again, this lends itself to the thought and the stereotype that Jacob was a deceiver, that he was willing to go through this elaborate lie to receive the blessing that Isaac intended for Esau. But what happens here is we see Rebecca taking the credit and the blame for whatever this is, that she said herself, this is not for a curse to befall you. I will take the words of the curse. This is, I will take the blame if any of this is done out of turn and is wrong. And the reason why she does this, again, going back to the very beginning of our Torah portion, she was the one who received the word of the Lord. She was the one who was the instrument of God in this process so that Jacob might be the one that receives the blessing. In the same way as this, let's say, uh, let's say the story went this way, that Isaac was intending to bless the sons, Esau and Jacob, and he, maybe he could still see, and he put his hands, and right as he was about to bless Esau, that an angel of the Lord came, a messenger from the Lord, and said, Isaac, Isaac, do not lift your hand toward that son. Instead, bless this one. If that was the story that we had, nobody would question this whatsoever. That a messenger from God is giving this information to Isaac and causing this miraculous change of heart for the blessing to then go to Jacob. Nobody would question if that was the story. But why do we question it? The fact that the word of the Lord, instead of going through some messenger or some angel, just happens to go through Rebecca. Though this woman who was married to Isaac, who was the mother of these sons, she was the messenger of God at this time. One should never look down upon where the word of the Lord comes from. The word of the Lord can come from any man, can come from a woman, can come from a child, can come from a voice from heaven or from an angel walking among us. This is all of these places. That's where the word of the Lord comes from. Why is it any question that it's simply Rebecca who's doing the work of the Lord at this time? That's how I truly believe it. And that's why if you think about it that way, no longer do you look and see that, oh, this was some big elaborate deception. No, this was the Lord guiding the path and the steps of the individuals to ensure the blessing ended up on Jacob. So with that being said, what happens is he does go to his father and he says, here I am. And he calls himself Esau and he brings him the food. Isaac feels him. Isaac even questions. He's like, you come near and it's like, I feel my son, whether you are really Esau or not. And so he comes and as he's speaking and he's like, this is the voice of Jacob, but I feel Esau and I, I here's the food. So he then, as far as he's concerned, Isaac questions, you know, this this interaction here. But regardless, uh, regardless, he still performs the blessing of the firstborn. He kissed him, he smelled his clothing, he, and he gives this blessing. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field, which the Lord has blessed. Verse 28, this is the blessing of Isaac upon Jacob. Therefore, my God, give you of the dew of heavens, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, including your immediate brother. And let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed 
be those that bless you. What an amazing blessing this is. This is truly the blessing put upon Jacob and that will carry on through all of his descendants. That when wherever he goes, wherever his children go, that, that there will be fatness among the earth. There will be plenty of grain, plenty of wine. And this is the contrast that we see between the future descendants of Jacob and the future descendants of Esau. See, Esau will grow into a great kingdom as well. He will go down to a place, a place called Edom. Remember, his nickname was that. And he'll form a whole new group and a whole new group of people. And he'll marry also within the daughters of Ishmael. And so the families of Ishmael and Esau, which blessings for them to grow into a great company, will carry on throughout all of history. In fact, what we look today, we look at the modern day Arab cultures throughout the world, which is one of the largest demographics of people in the entire world. That they are a great nation that are blessed throughout the world. The great numbers of people. And in contrast, the descendants of Jacob, descendants of Israel, are a smaller group of number. That Those that are ethnically Jewish is actually one of the smaller ethnicities that exist here in the world as well. And we look at that and we can see the descendants of these two people. But what we see, interestingly enough, even in looking in the Middle East, where the land of Israel, where the Jews and the descendants of Jacob dwell, there is great plentiness in the land. The land is fruitful. It multiplies. Modern day Israel is one of the most agriculturally blessed places in all of the Middle East. That's where they dwell. And then you go to any of the other places, be it Jordan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, all of these other places where, for the most part, all of the land and the landscape does not yield produce, does not yield fruitfulness out of the land. And so this, I believe, that sort of just stark contrast that we can observe in modern day comes from this blessing here that was put upon Jacob as opposed to Esau. Even though Esau was a man of the field, he was a man of the field traveling all these places. But the blessing goes upon Jacob that where he plants his foot, where he dwells, that the fatness of the earth and grain and wine and all of this produce will grow and it will be abundant in the life of Jacob. So what happens is Esau shows back up and he says he cooks the food. He comes, he brings it to his father and he says, here, here's the food. And he's like, and Isaac says, who are you? And he says, I'm Esau, your son. He's all like, then who was that that I just blessed? And then Esau, he weeps bitterly and he cries for his father to bless him as well. And Esau realizes what had happened, that Jacob had received the blessing and had stepped in and received that blessing as well. But Esau pleads with his father Isaac and he gets a blessing as well. And he says this, behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven above. But by your sword, you shall live. So he says you'll get all this land, you'll, 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 you'll dwell in a great deal expanse, but you will be at war all the times, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So he might be in service to his brother, but he will have the power and the means to break away. And that's also the contrast that we have where the Arab people is large, powerful, great. They have lived and there's been war constantly between one another, between warring uh, Arab uh, peoples and then also with other peoples of the world. And that is how the testimony of how those people throughout all of history have lived. And again, that carries over from this particular blessing that comes from Isaac upon the brother. Now, after this all happens, obviously Esau, he hated Jacob, says that in verse 41. 
And he says, of the, because of the blessing which father blessed him, and Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. The words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. And at that point, she then calls her younger son Jacob and says, you've got to get away from here. You've got to separate yourself from this place or your, because your brother is seeking to seek your life and to kill you. Which is obviously that we now have this greater conflict between these two sons if there wasn't one already. What's interesting here is that he's mourning for the days of mourning for his father are at hand. Again, he thought, listening to his father's words, his father was about to die. For the sake of his father, when he died, he then would take his vengeance upon Jacob. What happened, of course, is that there was many years later that Isaac actually died, long after Jacob had gone and married and had sons, and there was a lot more time that took place before Isaac passes away. Now, what happened here at this time, I want to do a little bit of uh, analysis of this story. We're all from pretty familiar with this story, but there's a couple of little notes and nuggets that are a little bit behind the scenes that we don't necessarily realize when we recount this story. Many people think and believe that when they visually picture the story, they picture two little young boys that were blessed by their father and that Rebecca is really taking her little son, Jacob, who's this little man and, and kind of telling him to what to do. And when they go to pick out the clothes and wear some of the clothes of Esau, that they go into this, you know, little kid's bedroom and get some of the kid's clothes. What we need to correct our state of mind is that these men were not children at this time. Esau had already taken wives when he was 40 years old. So they were at least 40 years old. And then if you do the genealogy of Jacob based on when he gave birth, when his, uh, he had sons and his wives gave birth to his sons, he had at that time, he had to have been at least in his 70s, possibly 77 years old. So we have this time frame that these men were between the age of 40 and 70 when this took place. And so really, these were men already who had established, and there is no question that these were men, mighty men in the household of Isaac. And so we need to correct our thought processes that these were two little young boys that were fighting with one another. No, they were men. One of the other things that we need to know is this, and this is just a natural question that should always come up whenever you hear something about a certain person. Why did Isaac go blind? Why did he, his eyes grow dim? All of these other men, you know, everything seems to be okay. There's nothing kind of wrong with them. But why in that time would there be some sort of cause that would cause Isaac to go blind? The sages say this, and there's a couple of biblical sources, extra biblical sources that say this as well. Again, we can't put our complete trust in those because all we can really have to go off with our scripture is the biblical narrative. But what they say is this. Remember those uh, wives of Esau? They were a grief to Rebecca and to Isaac. Well, they were Canaanites. They were pagan worshipers. They, they believed in their gods and did all those same practices. And what the extra biblical texts say is that they burned incense in the tents of Isaac and all the tents of his company because they were Canaanites and they worshiped Canaanite gods and they burned all this smoke and this incense and they performed all of these other things in the midst of this whole family. And what they say, the, the texts say, is it was the burning of the incense of the daughters of Canaan that caused Isaac to go blind. It was Isaac's possession that he went and took these daughters, these Canaanites. Remember the whole thing when we were looking for a bride for Isaac? Don't take a bride from these people. 
These people are, they're, they're, they're idol worshipers and they're, these people are exceedingly wicked. Don't bring a daughter from there. Well, that's exactly what Esau did. Esau brought in two of them. And those were the wives that he took. And what it caused their actions and, es- and henceforth Esau's actions is what caused his father to go blind, which if that wasn't the case, then Jacob's deception would never have been possible. So it's Esau's fault. One, he sold his birthright because he despised it. And the blessing's supposed to go to Jacob in the first place. Second of all, he married these two exceedingly wicked women that caused his father to go blind, which if that hadn't been the case, then, there'd be, then he was, would have been able to receive the blessing from his father. So those are extra layers to the story here that we have to keep in mind so that we don't tend to follow the stereotype that Jacob was just a deceiver, and he deceived his his father, and he stole the blessing from his brother. Such is not the case. Esau did not regard the blessing and the birthright in the same way Jacob did. And it was God's plan all along for Jacob to receive this blessing. Now, what's going to happen here is Isaac's going to be sent away with a... uh, Isaac's going to send Jacob away... With the blessing telling him, look, it's like you need you now need to take a wife. You got strife between you and your brother. Don't take a wife from the Canaanites here. He says, arise and go to Padamaran. That is the place where Rebecca came from. That's also the place where Abraham came from to where she can when he came to dwell in the land. This is all the original family of Abraham. And he says, go, go to this place. Go find your um, your mother's brother Laban and go back to there to find a wife. Here's another blessing that's put upon Jacob before he leaves. And he says, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sends Jacob away. He went on to Padamaran, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And this leads us right into next week's story, where now Jacob is then goes on this journey, and we have the entire story of him meeting his wives, meeting Rebekah, meeting Leah, and the story of him beginning to become prosperous, and the blessings of Abraham continuing on through his life. The very last part of our portion here, uh, the last couple of verses before the end of our portion, Verses uh, 6 through 9 talks of Esau, how he then went and he took another wife. And this is where he went and joined up with the Ishmaelites. And he took another wife uh, trying to maybe appease his mother and father with, you know, if the his other wives had been a grief, then maybe if I bring in another wife, then they'd be pleased with him as well. It also just describes and lets us know kind of what happens to Esau, his descendants, and the direction he goes after that. So here we see here in our scripture again the blessings of Abraham and the covenant with Abraham being passed on to Jacob that he will be the one that he is the promised son the one who has the birthright coming from Abraham that it's through his seed that all will be blessed and, and be fruitful, multiply, and all the nations of the earth will, will be blessed. And that's evident here in this final blessing that comes from Isaac upon Jacob before he leaves. 
So as we look forward to next week's portion and continue the story and the narrative of Jacob, let us continue to be encouraged as we recount stories. Sometimes we're familiar with these stories. Sometimes there's little layers and things that we forget in the process of the retelling of all of these stories. But I hope and pray that it's the testimony of these men and some of the other things that are going on in the background and other questions that can be asked they would be edifying to us and that we continue to learn new things each and every year that we go and we study these stories of old. And may we be encouraged in our most holy faith. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on the Sabbath day. We thank you for your teaching, your instruction for the life of Isaac and the life of Jacob, Lord, and that your continued blessing and favor that was put upon this family, Lord. And may we look always to all of these men and these uh, and to Rebecca, the mothers as well, that these are our family. These are our kin. These are our ancestors, Lord, that we look to that what happens to them, we might interact and have interactions in our lives similar to them. And may we learn the principles and the instructions. Father, let there not be strife among our brothers. May we not despise the blessings that you have given to us. But, Father, may we give value and purpose. And, Father, always seek for the ways for us to be blessed through your promises and through your covenant that you have made with our ancestors and also with us. So we love you. We bless you. We thank you on the Sabbath day. We thank you for your teaching, your instruction, and for all of these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu Torah temet v'chayalam nata betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah ha-Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home, families will gather all around singing Shabbat. Shalom, everybody sing. Shalom. 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 Shalom.
from God has put a smile upon your face. He's got the whole world in his hands, so obey his commands, and you will know peace. Shalom, 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 shalom. 